You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church, Carlisle. In Ecclesiastes, we discover that a life spent in pursuit of pleasure, achievement, and control will ultimately leave us empty-handed. Life isn't about what we can obtain, but about what we already have, and learning to receive it from God with gratitude. Welcome to Ecclesiastes, life as gift, not gain. Awesome. Well, I'll bring you guys greetings from your sister church, Soldier Nice, uh, across town. I want to publicly thank uh, Pastor James for inviting me to come open up and preach the Word of God to you guys. Also, Pastor Nick for his welcoming hospitality. Uh, before we dive into God's Word, let's take a moment just to pray and ask that the Lord would be with us uh, this morning as we seek Him closer. Lord God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that we can know You. We thank you that you have not left us as orphans to fend for ourselves. And Lord, we thank you for the hard things of Scripture, that you do not sugarcoat life under the sun, uh, but you tell it as it is so that we may live wisely underneath your reign, Lord. So be with us this morning. Help me to speak clearly and boldly. In Jesus' name, amen. So death, it's inevitable. Um, It's often sudden. It's often unprovoked as well. I think of a Florida deputy that was killed in the line of duty earlier this year. One day before his retirement, he lost his life. I think of a few weeks ago in Florida, you guys know, with the condos that collapsed. Middle of the night, a few hours before, there was no warning, and then it happened. I think of a New York Jets football coach, Greg Knapp, who died one week before reporting to training camp. Even much closer to home to us, I think of a sweet 16-year-old girl named Nyla who died seven miles from here on Cecil Avenue. Senseless gunshot. And I asked you guys this morning, what thoughts or emotions come to mind when you think of death? What thoughts or emotions come to mind when you guys think of death? You see, in our culture, it's taboo to talk about and we typically stay away from discussing it, it makes us comfortable. It's almost, this, it's almost as if if we talk about death, it makes it real. But is that wise to stay away from it because of that? You know, I preached my friend's memorial service uh, earlier this year. And something I'll never forget while I was there after I preached his memorial service, there was a child who was uh, in the family, either family or family friend, but she was near And after the parents and the family put his ashes in the entombment, uh, what we saw was a little girl uh, who was baffled because she saw there was a tomb that was nearby, and it looked different from all the other tombs that was visible uh, in her sight. See, the difference was on this specific tomb, it was a tomb for a husband and a wife, uh, but the engravement was a little bit different. You see, for the husband, it had his birth date, and it had his year of his death as well. For the wife, it was a little bit different. It had the day she was born, but her death date was missing on that tomb. Kids baffled. And she asked, why is the lady's death missing? The parent looked at her and said, well, she's still alive. She hasn't hasn't died yet. The kid said, well, where is she? Parent replies, she's somewhere. I don't know her. She's somewhere out here. The kid asked, well, if we don't know her, how do we know she's going to end up right here? The parent looks and she says, oh, she'll end up here. We'll all end up here. 
And what I admire about that kid, as I thought about that, that conversation, I stood a few feet back just to listen to that, is she leaned into the curiosity of life, death, and the grave. She didn't run from it. You know, she pressed into the confusing realities. Even her young mind is trying to grapple with the reality of this box awaits us. In our text this morning, as we continue to preach through the book of Ecclesiastes, the wise preacher, he is forcing us to behold certain truths. He's like, look, look at this. Don't run away from it. Don't cower away, but stare at it. In a text that was read to us, we're going to look at it under three different headings. We're going to look at it underneath the certainty of death, the unpredictability of life, and the hope for today. The first point that the, the wise preacher reads up is the certainty of death. So if you guys have lived long enough, 20 years or older, I would say, uh, you, you've experienced and you felt the unfairness of losing someone close to you guys. person close enough that feels that when they die, there's a part of you that went to the grave as well. <clears throat> Perhaps it was a mother or father that you guys dearly love. Perhaps it was a spouse, your other half maybe a boyfriend or girlfriend, or maybe it was a close friend that loved people and would give them the shirt off of their backs or a precious child who didn't have a chance and opportunity to fully experience life. You see, the preacher doesn't run from that, but he, he reaches in and he touches those wounds, not to cause us further harm, but to provide healing. Let's look closer together at verses two and three. The preacher says, the same Destiny ultimately awaits everyone, whether righteous or wicked, good or bad, ceremonially clean or unclean, religious or irreligious. He goes on to say, it seems so wrong that everyone under the sun suffers the same fate. And to that I say, yes, amen, it does seem wrong. Let me remind us that death is inevitable, and yet the teacher in Ecclesiastes, he isn't afraid of naming it. He isn't afraid of speaking directly to it. And it hurts. It really hurts. And oftentimes, we're left asking, why? Why, God? The man or woman who devite, devotes a lifelong life to serving God dies the same way for the, as a person that mocks the very existing God. So rubs us this wrong way. And it's hard. But the teacher, in a way, he is both equipping and he's teaching us how to live wisely underneath the sun amongst this injustice. You know, he guards us from being uh, naive, and he protects us from believing that we are going to be exempt from experience the common death because of our devotion to God. It's hard. However, he doesn't say, that's the truth. Suck it up. Deal with it. He doesn't say that. Instead, he recognizes and he steps into the pain alongside of us as he is teaching us. He recognizes this wrongness under the sun, that the good and the bad suffer the exact same fate. And in a previous chapter, chapter 8, that's when he first introduced this concept to us. And hear this in verse 14 of chapter 8. He lays out boldly, in this life, good people are often treated as though they were wicked. And wicked people are often treated as though they were good. This is so meaningless. When a good die in unjust ways, it bothers me. And I know it bothers you as well. You know, we scream, you either verbally scream or we scream within that it's fair and it's cruel. And so it is. But what differs, I would argue, is that though we exit the exact same way, 
Those who are in God's hands are securely in God's hand, despite the circumstances that they're faced with. Your lot and all it entails, even though it's unbeknown to you, it's in the hands of a trustworthy God. And we see this in verse 1 of the text. The preacher goes on to say, This too I carefully explored. Even though the actions of a godly and wise people are in God's hand, no one knows whether God will show them favor. The preacher is teaching and he's protecting you. And he's saying, look, don't let the circumstances that you find yourself in be the indicator whether you're in God's hand or not. Life is cruel under the sun. But I would say it's truly better to walk the deep valleys with God than live on a high mountaintops alone by yourself. Soaking in his truth allows us to suffer well, but it also allows you to show up well with those who are suffering. If you haven't done it, you'll do it soon. And because of this truth, we can embrace the sadness without trying to just speed through. We can embrace people exactly where they are in the midst of their sorrow without trying to explain it away. We can just be there. You and I need to have the humility to look someone in the eye and say, I don't know why this happened, and I'm sorry. You have to have humility with sorrow underneath the sun. Oftentimes, as a pastor, let me tell you, there aren't adequate answers to give people in the midst of suffering. Oftentimes, when we think about this, we realize this, but it's hard to interpret and, 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 and to soak this in. And while working on this sermon this week, I was literally at the coffee shop in St. Matthew's, writing, typing, thinking, and praying, um, and I get a phone call from the fiance of a close friend. She says that her husband is struggling with suicide and he's about to call the hotline. Can you come here? Drop my laptop, put my Bible in my bag, and I hop in. I drive over to Indiana and I show up. Do I give him a mini sermon? No. I just sit there. I hug him. I pray with him. And I'm present. I'm present there. So part one, the certainty of death. Second, we'll look at the uncertainty of life. See, the preacher isn't done with his lesson yet. When we jump towards the end of our passage, what we see is that we come face to face with life uncertainties under the sun. So here how we all share the same fate. It could leave us feeling anxious. It could leave us feeling just the anxiety. And as a result of that, we could fight hard for control. We could say that I'm going to determine my life circumstances that I face so that I face a different fate. I'm going to manipulate this outcome. Preacher's too wise for that. He said, no, 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 no. That's not how life works. It's not how it works. And we see in verse 11, the preacher writes, he says, I have observed something else under the sun. He says, the fastest runner doesn't always win the race. The strongest warrior doesn't always win the battle. The wise sometimes go hungry and the skillful are not necessarily wealthy. And those who are educated don't always lead successful lives. It is all decided by chance, by being in the right place at the right time. That's hard. You see, life under the sun is both complex and it's an enigma. It leaves us scratching our heads, fighting for understanding. You see, Ecclesiastes is wise in a sense that uh, it, it bursts those bubbles. It is notoriously known for putting forth exceptions to the rules. You see, a Proverbs is an auntie that says, son, tie your shoes before you trip. 
Ecclesiastes is that uncle that says, well, even with his shoes tied, he could still trip and fall. That's the type of wisdom that Ecclesiastes is putting forth. Um, and it's hard because you could go your whole life. You could work towards retirement and never see it and never taste it. You could be caught in the wrong place at the wrong time, though you're not involved directly in something. You know, I think of my father um, who fell over a few years ago because he had a brain aneurysm that he didn't know about. He has to get airlifted to a hospital. Did nothing to bring that on. It's just there. Think about my father-in-law. His name is John King, diagnosed with stage four cancer a few months ago. Done nothing, but it's there in his heart. You see, you need to understand that doing the right thing does not always equal the right outcome. This is the wisdom the teacher is trying to make sure you understand. The hardships in life is, all, is not always connected to, to bad decisions. And also the prosperous lives that some people are living and enjoying, it's not a direct correlation to the wisdom either. But if we're honest, this is an assumption uh, that we make about people week in and week out when we view them and we view the circumstances surrounding their lives. And it's not even an assumption that was only clear in our day. It was clear in Jesus' day as well. And being the truly wise teacher, Jesus had to reorient the minds of his followers and the minds of the people in his day so that they can properly interpret the suffering that they're seeing and are trying to make light of the complexities of it. And we see this clearly in Luke chapter 13. In it we read, Now, there were some present at that time who told Jesus about Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Romans slaughtering Jews inside the temple while they're presenting their sacrifices. And Jesus looked at him. He answered them. He says, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than the other Galileans because they suffered that way? He says, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will also perish. You see, Jesus is both correcting their assumptions and he's using this situation to reveal a much deeper truth in our lives. See, he's teaching, he's teaching his listeners then and us now. He's saying that if we don't repent, we will also perish. You see, suffering is hard. It often appears meaningless, but I promise you it's not pointless. You do not see what it's doing on this side of the sun. You can't see all that it's doing on this side of the sun, but it's not pointless. And being a pastor long enough, I've seen that it has the unique opportunity to stop humans in their tracks, to slow them down, and to wrestle and to grapple with their mortality. Suffering can do that. And I've also seen uh, people that are going through their own suffering that has found God as a result of that. And I've also seen people who've seen other people suffering find God as a result of that. Many people will otherwise be too distracted by life circumstances. Suffering says, slow down, you're only human. You know, we don't know what awaits us when we leave this church building this afternoon. I don't know what awaits me tomorrow. I have my plans, but I just don't know. You know, once you've experienced the hardship of life, you quickly realize and come to the understanding that you are not the master of your own soul. You are not the captain of your fate. Despite how popular that sounds, that is not true. You know, on the contrary, we should have the humility as we live life to seek out the God who knows us and the days of our lives. Wise words are found in Psalm 139, verse 16. The psalmist declares, 
speaking of God, he says, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day has passed. The Lord knows your days. He's not caught off guard. He's not surprised. He is still in control. The teacher brings us back to our third point, our hope for today. So we looked at the certainty of death, the uncertainty of life, and we're looking at our hope for today. So you see, in between uh, these two different realities, the certainty of death and the uncertainty of life, the preacher leaves us with instructions of how to find life. You know, being between a rock and a hard place is often hard to enjoy because we're always thinking, where am I going to get squished? When is that blow coming? But teacher's like, no, 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 don't live that way. There's a different way I want you to live. And we see that specifically, and I'll introduce you to some in verses 7 and 8. In light of these two truths, right there sandwiched in the middle, the preacher Ecclesiastes says, what do I do as a result of this? He says, go ahead. He says, eat your food with joy and drink your wine with a happy heart. For God approves of this. Wear fine clothes with a splash of cologne. Wow. He is saying, enjoy the life you have with gratitude. Enjoy the life you have with gratitude. We don't have to walk around like Eeyore and Winnie the Pooh, like everything's sad when everything isn't sad. Gratitude is the key to living wisely. Experiencing everyday gifts of God in a relationship with God. It keeps us from one far extreme, which is despair, and it keeps us from the other side, superficial smiling all the time, like things don't bother us. Things are hard. The preacher names it, but he's saying we don't have to live as a result of that fearful and sorrowful and mournful every day of our life. Live, live in gratitude, be thankful, step into that. See, although death is inevitable, life isn't meant to be a dark cloud, but also the challenges of life, they should twist us and turn us that we may experience joys in a new and alive way every single day. Things we take for granted. When you, when you enjoy that fresh cup of coffee, slow down. Smell it. Taste it. Let it feel it on your tongue. Embrace that goodness of God. You know, be thankful for the friends you have. I got a few friends in the, in the congregation here, and I love them dearly, and I'm thankful for them. I'm thankful for the years that I've had with them. Be glad with the kids you have, even though they drive you crazy. Not if, even though they drive you crazy. Give thanks to God that he's blessed you with those kids. And when you, this week, when you sit and you think about this text individually or maybe in community, I know you guys are big on community here, uh, contemplate together the ordinary things of life that you can rejoice in. If you're sitting with other people, name those things and take a second to give God thanks in the midst of those things. They are joys to be experienced with a heart of gratitude. Finally, this isn't the end of the story. You know, as a preacher reading through Ecclesiastes, if the Bible ended there, we will have more questions than we have answers. It would be hard not to live in a way that is sad to think, why is this always happening? The Bible doesn't end there. You see, our preacher 
He's writing from the vantage point underneath the sun, but the God we serve is transcendent. He is not confined to life this side of the, of the sun. Remember Jesus, the son of God who was righteous, and yet he experienced the exact same injustices that the preacher is crying out against. Jesus knows what this evil is like underneath the sun. But it's also because of that that Jesus is uniquely qualified to meet you and I in the midst of our darkest pains, our backslidings, our disappointments, and the deepest afflictions we can ever experience. Jesus drew near in the flesh and he says, I know. I felt it. I felt that. I know it hurts. You see that his death It was similar in many ways, but it was profoundly different from ours. See, his death and his resurrection from the grave, it interrupted the cycle of suffering and death in human life underneath the sun. It cut it in half. His death, in a paradoxical way, it brought us everlasting life. His death, though it looked meaningful, it had a purpose, and it served a purpose, and we can thank God for that purpose. And we see that in 2 Corinthians verses 5 and 21. In it, Paul writes, God made him, referring to Jesus, he said, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God treated Jesus the way we should have been treated so that we could receive the blessings that were due to Jesus. And that's the heart of the gospel message that he, is, uh, he willingly took our place on the cross. Jesus bore that penalty for your good. He looked at it in the face and he says, I love them and I will take that on myself. We receive his righteousness. And if you are in Christ today, you can hold fast to these truths because life is hard. And there's times where you have to be faithful in this season because I promise you, Dark days will come. Suffering will come. And you need to have a song in your heart to look that suffering in the eye and say, yet will I praise him. Yet will I behold his glory. And I think about um, Paul and Silas when uh, they're arrested for for preaching the gospel. They're beaten. They're bloody. They're in uh, the inner cell of a jail and they're chained. their, their, Their legs are chained and they're hurt and they're pained from being faithful to God. And what's their result? They are singing hymns and they're praising God. In the midst of their suffering for the obedience, they're singing hymns and they are praising God. Why? Because they knew the truth of God and they knew that the circumstances of their lives means that God has not forgotten me and he's not abandoned me in his deepest, darkest cell. They said, God is here. And prisoners are around thinking, why are you praising God? Your back's opened up, you're bleeding, you're chained. I can imagine Paul saying, yeah, but God is good. <laughs> but God is good. So I ask you, if you know Christ, if you are walking or if you're a follower of Christ, hold on to these truths. 
Because there's a time, you might be in a season now we need to hold on to these truths, or there's a season tomorrow we need to hold on to these truths. Cling to God. Do not let circumstances and situations in your own life and other people's life say, allow you to say, God, where are you? He's there. On the opposite side, if you don't know Christ today, I invite you to come to him, not to wait. You have no idea what awaits you when you leave this building. You have no idea what tomorrow, next week, next month, or next year will look like. The Lord is saying, come, come to me. Let me pray for us. I'm James A.P. Fields, Jr., lead pastor at Sojourn Church Carlisle. Thanks for listening. We're a church that is rooted in the community of South Louisville, and we are seeking to advance the gospel of Christ in South Louisville and beyond. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support our ministry, visit SojournChurch.com backslash Carlisle, C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. God bless.